the Grand Prix has come alive. Those tyres are worn. Those tyres are fading. Do you come in for intermediate tyres? Do you stay out there on slicks? OK, you let me know if you need to box to stay on the track, Max. Simple as that. Now, what tyre are they going to go for? Are Aston Martin going to gamble here? Yes, seven and eight. Probably good for Inters, but the rest of the circuit will be too dry, I guess. I don't know, mate. OK, mate. We're going to box this lap, please and it will be for mediums. Extraordinary, Alonso went for dry tyres. Everyone else is gambling for the intermediates, the tyres with the grooves that give you more grip in the wet. And this is incredible stuff now. We need Inters, Inters. Un understood, Max, we are pitting for Inters. Raining heavy in turn three, raining very heavy in five. Inters, next level. Copy, mate, understood. Well, the question has to be, what were Aston Martin thinking? Because they were right at that cusp of whether you could get the intermediates on. And who made that call? The Dutch master has produced something special in the wet, in the dry. Max Verstappen wins the Monaco Grand Prix for surely one of his most satisfying victories in Formula One. <laughs> Very lovely, that. That was the real Monaco. It was uh, quite difficult there in the wet, but <laughs> quite enjoyable as well. Max, what a race, what a win, Monaco in the wet. How tough was that? Yeah, it was quite um, hectic towards the end. And the hard bit is that you have a good lead, but of course you don't want to risk too much, but you also don't want to drive too slow because then you have no temperature in your tires. So um, just trying to find a bit the middle ground initially was a bit tough, but then after a few laps, I think I settled in and felt quite comfortable. And of course, this is your 39th win for Red Bull, surpassing Sebastian Vettel's tally for the team. What does that mean to you? Uh, if you have a good car for a while, you know, you can break these kind of uh, numbers. But uh, yeah, it's 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 great. I mean, um, I would have never thought that I would be in this position in my career. Um, yeah, winning these races is, is amazing. It's better than I could have ever imagined for sure. Well, when you're driving as well as Max Verstappen, you have to expect to win lots and lots of races. The Monaco Grand Prix, his fourth win of 2023 and surely his best of the season so far. Welcome, everybody, to F1 Nation when we're going to review the 2023 Monaco Grand Prix. And I'm delighted to say that I'm joined as ever by Pedro de la Rosa, and we have a very special guest in Alex Furtz this week as well. So welcome to you guys. Um, would you agree with me, Pedro, that this was his best of 23 so far? It was a, it was a fantastic race. But I, I would say, Tom, it's not only a fantastic race, but also it was a fantastic weekend. A great qualifying session, uh, eventful race. And uh, it was extremely interesting. And uh, it was a typical race, a typical Monaco race where you you knew there was something going to happen at one stage and until the very last lap, any, anything could have changed. So it was eventful, it was fun, it was great, but starting on Saturday as well. Alex, how difficult is it to pull an entire weekend together in Monaco? I mean, it's so draining mentally, if nothing else. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a special track, uh, a very high track evolution. Everyone is pushing, uh, of course. And you could see, for example, Max, that... He had to really throughout the weekend dig very deep because the gap was very close. On the Friday, we thought Ferrari has the upper hand. On the Saturday, Destin Martins pulled out some fantastic lap times. And qualifying was a showdown to the last sector where he had to beat David Copperfield in the last sector <laughs> to kind of go for the pole position. And he did. Uh, and he did so in the race as well. So I have to say, for me, 
this was maybe one of the strongest Max Verstappen shows we have seen uh, throughout his uh, few seasons. Come on, let's talk about qualifying a bit more. He was, what, nearly three-tenths down on Alonso going into that last sector. Where did he find the time? Well, I mean, I have analysed that in uh, deeply as well, you know, and uh, I have looked at the, all the telemetry data that's provided by Formula One and uh, comparisons because it was incredible to pull three-tenths, uh, almost three-tenths, 2,800 on, on the last sector was unreal. But it all comes to really the the, the, the coming out of the swimming pool, 15, 16. It seems as Max uses every every centimeter of the road on entry, on exit. He brushes the the wall on the exit, so he's he's one he's taking fourth gear that 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 chicane. Uh, Fernando is used to take it in third gear all during all the weekend, so he's picking up some speed on the, on that chicane. But then also that I think that the, the the differentiator or the corner where the the gap was uh, was gained was uh, Rascas. Because I think that the, when Max arrives arrives to that corner, he rotates the car really fast, uh, very, in a very agile manner, and he also uh, aims for a very late apex, but with a lot of speed. So he has a clean exit with a car in a very good position. So how he managed that, I think it's uh, obviously talent, but uh, it's a, a characteristic of the Red Bull. But also, I think we have to look at he how he Max prepared his tires for that last run because he had some issues, he had some traffic preparing that lap. So uh, that ma- made him lose a few tenths maybe in the first sector and second sector, but then his tyres were at their best during the last sector as well, and, and Fernando's tyres were dropping off by then. So anyway, I don't want to take anything away from, from Max, because as, as, as Alex said, he was David Copperfield in that last sector for sure. But who had the fastest car this weekend in Monaco? There was a lot of chat leading up to the race that this was going to be Red Bull's most difficult weekend and it certainly was in if you look at the lap time difference but was the Red Bull still the fastest car I think it was very close uh, I, I would not be comfortable to say that Red Bull was clearly the fastest car because we saw with Checo that um, if you were not really tuned into the car yourself your confidence your mindset uh, things can go very quickly wrong and and off the top end of the grid it was super interesting actually to see Monaco. While sometimes you see we can't analyze much out of Monaco, but this time round we can see that you take away the high-speed aero-dependent corners, which Monaco is. It's quite slow speed. It's not long corners. So the aero uh, effect is perhaps the least. Especially the drag effect is absolutely non-existing. So we saw some cars coming alive and we saw the gaps between quite a few cars and drivers coming very close together. So that was super interesting. Mechanically, the cars seemed to be reasonably even spread, even so there's still something at Mercedes to be analyzed, but we can talk about that later. Uh, bottom line is I think uh, Est Martin was super close, and as Pedro uh, analyzed very sharply, it seems that the lap time delta and qualifying came together of a different surface temperature, uh, whilst Fernando was sliding all four wheels in rust cars, which looked pretty spectacular, really nice and beautiful but he just didn't have the grip anymore and and Max just uh, had this extra bit of grip and that's why we see this delta in the last sector so it's not David Copperfield it's laws of physics and can be explained. There was a lovely moment in the press conference after qualifying so they've only been out of the cars say five minutes they have a quick chat on the grid then they come to the press conference and Fernando came in first and he sat down 
in his chair and he sort of was slumped a little bit. And he, you could see he was just, I think, reflecting on what he'd just done. Max was the next driver to arrive and they just sort of, I'm not going to say it was a hug, but they just sort of squeezed each other's shoulders and didn't say a word to each other. This is before all the cameras were turned on. And right there, I saw a mutual respect between those two that is that is not often seen, I think, in Formula One. As I say, no words were exchanged, but just genuine respect about what they had just done over one lap of Monaco. And I would say I haven't seen two better laps of that track in 25 years than what we saw from Alonso and Verstappen in qualifying. But 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 Tom, you, you were not there when um, myself and, um, and Wurzi were there racing in Monaco because we also well, had I, very good I qualifying was... laps. <laughs> I was most definitely there when when Vertsi when Vertsi came sliding out of uh, out of the tunnel with no wheels on his wagon. I remember that very clearly. <laughs> no, that was more than twenty five years ago. First of all, uh, feels like fifty years ago. Uh, and, and never mind, uh, it was Mike's fault why I came out with no wheels. <laughs> so here we go. Yeah. <laughs> Let's stay focused on on the show. If I may pick up on one thing you've said, which was the respect in the looks, the split second, you look at each other. And this is these are the beautiful moments when you witness uh, top people who are very strong rivals, still knowing that out there they just gave it all and it was exhausting, it is tiring, even so it's just one lap. And they know both what they left on the track was all they had and it was very close. So I think therefore... You have witnessed a beautiful moment and Pedro and myself, we all felt that at one point you just have a deep respect of someone else being able to go such a high limit and extract everything. And I think that you, you've just witnessed a beautiful moment. That's why we love sport so much. Yeah, I agree. And, and also I would add, I would add, uh, Wurzi, that I, I, the respect was there. There's a huge rivalry, but, but deep inside, both of them, I mean, above all, they enjoy what they're doing, you know? And they felt like they they had a massive good time. They felt exhausted in a good way because they had just delivered their best, and they had had a lot of fun. Uh, but also, they they are they know each other very well. They 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 are good mates, I would say, or have a good relationship. Both know that they are very similar. They have very similar personalities. They 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 their approach to motor racing is similar. I think that builds on on that huge respect they have for each other. This episode is sponsored by our friends at Athletic Greens. If you're a long-time listener to the show, then you'll know that I started taking AG1 by Athletic Greens because I was looking for a way to feed my body with all the key nutrients it needs without juggling a shelf full of different supplements. When I'm travelling around so much, I need something uncomplicated and easy to fit into my daily routine and AG1 is perfect for me. I just mix my drink first thing in the morning to set me off on the right foot for the rest of the day. With just one scoop of AG1 mixed in water, you're getting a shot of 75 high quality ingredients, including prebiotics, probiotics and electrolytes, which work together to help improve your mood, your sleep and your recovery after exercise. And most importantly, it helps to support a healthy gut microbiome. A healthy gut plays a pivotal role in your overall well-being, so it's important that you take the time to look after it. And trust me, you'll feel such a difference in your energy levels when your digestive system is working properly. It's remarkable how good it can make you feel 
when you get your body in balance. And it really gives me an extra boost knowing that I'm giving my body the nutrients it needs for me to feel at my best and keep me on track with my health and fitness goals, even on those days when I need a little more motivation. If a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com forward slash F1 Nation. That's athleticgreens.com slash F1 Nation. Check it out. Extraordinary. Alonso went for dry tyres. Everyone else is gambling for the intermediates. The tyres with the grooves that give you more grip in the wet. And this is incredible stuff now. Alonso coming into the pits and Alonso will stop again to go onto that intermediate tyre and then it's just a case about driving skill around this circuit. Right, we've established that there's very little between these two cars. So explain to me, Pedro, you're probably uh, the right man to do this first, given that you wear green uh, at a Grand Prix these days. But you know that you've got a, a very similar car to Max Verstappen. So why do you not try and beat him into turn one? Tell us about the strategy of starting Alonso on the hard tyre in that Grand Prix. Well, I think that it just comes from the fact that if you do the same strategy as the car in front in Monaco, you will never beat him. I mean, that is clear. Uh, and especially, especially a Red Bull. So I don't think that we are yet at the level of Red Bull. Uh, Red Bull, I mean, maybe for one lap, Fernando could pull a magic, a magic lap, a David Copperfield plus two sectors, not only the last sector uh, lap. Uh, but but then on race pace, I think that the fact that uh, if you looked at uh, Max race pace with a medium tire that was graining, was opening up, uh, he was definitely it, it didn't look lovely like he said, you know, or uh, it was <laughs> it, it and he was still pulling a gap. So I think that it's unfair to say that we had the same car as a Red Bull. I don't I don't think we had, and I think that proves how, what a special lap Fernando did in quali, and then. It just proved as well that uh, the team wanted to, you know, wanted to do something different uh, that was manageable, like starting on the hard tire compared to the medium tire from Verstappen. Although the team at that point didn't know what tire Verstappen would start, but starting on pole position in Monaco, it's it's obvious that you are not going to gamble on a hard tire, and and they did they did fantastically well. You know, there was the risk of of rain at the end of the race. There is always the risk of a safety car because. At the end of the day, Tom, the, when do things happen in Monaco? They happen at the start or around the pit stops because that's when the people, the drivers are pushing 100% and taking risks. So you always have to think that if everyone on medium tire would start the race on medium tire are pushing around the pit stop time, that's the time that a safety car could come out. And then with a hard tire, you had more flexibility to the pit stop. So all in all, I would say, it was a very, uh, I liked the strategy. I, I didn't know that was the strategy. You know, I mean, I, I must say, although I'm at the team, I didn't know the strategy. And I was uh, TV commentating in Madrid. And when I saw the, the, the tire choice, I thought, yes, this is a really, really good choice, especially looking at the people behind, you know, the Mercedes and, and, and the Ferraris, you know, that they all had mixed strategies. So it was also a good strategy to cover position. Do you think Aston Martin underestimated how far Max was going to be able to go on the medium tyre? Well, I think that the, no one really knew how how many laps that, that the medium tyre or the hard tyre could do. 
But uh, one thing that was uh, predicted is that the hard tire could potentially do more laps than the medium. How much, how many laps Max managed to do at that pace with a grain front tire, front left tire, uh, that was uh, was amazing, was incredible, and just proves how much pace he had, how much he was managing his tires. So yeah, it, I think it, it it was a surprise for everyone how how long stint Max was able to do. And had Alonso not made that extra pit stop for the medium tire, if he'd gone straight onto Inters, what does the data say? Do you think he could have won it? Well, I, I leave this question for Wurzi because I think that he's uh, he's nodding the, the his head. He's not he, but I I think I have my my own my own uh, point of view, which I will share with you later. But I want to hear Wurzi, to be honest. I'm very very curious. So, I mean, it was quite an interesting maneuver to go onto the yellow medium tire when everyone was shouting for for the inter tires and rain came down more. But at this time, uh, I don't know the exact to the tenths of a second caps, but he had more than sec- 30 seconds advantage to P3 behind him. So that gives, gives you with a pit stop delta of uh, maximum 20, maybe 19 seconds, um, a, a margin to gamble. Uh, and I think... They went all in uh, to gamble. Maybe it was too risky, it was too crazy in retrospect, but he didn't lose out to the back. He could have won because at the same time, he had about 10 seconds gap to Max and Max did the one thing they have to do is to cover what Fernando is doing because they know they had the slight better car to have the trust in the driver plus the 10 seconds. So they would have, unless it was very, very clearly ready to come in, which it wasn't, uh, Max stayed out for yet another lap just to make sure what is Fernando doing. And Fernando put the cards on the table first and they were very aggressive played cards. Um, and at this time, I think um, it started to rain more in this one lap. So for Max, it was quite clear to go to Inters. And in the end, it was a gamble of Aston Martin and Fernando. Looked a bit crazy, but uh, I think when you look at the times, that was risk management in a way. And full trust in Fernando that he can still manage with new slicks on the ever-getting-more-wet-and-slippery circuit. He was on the hard tyre, so why didn't he stay out longer just to see what the weather was going to do before pitting? Because if you go hard tyre, you have much less rubber on the tyre, and rubber is saving energy and temperature. Um, it's running colder. It's harder to switch on, harder to generate the grip with a, a, a newish, softer compound. Uh, it's a bit better and it was a compound which could go to the end if it's drying up. Their game was maybe this forecast is not going to get ever more wet. It's actually just sopping. It was only wet on his inlet in, in, in one part and a small part on this circuit. So yeah, I mean, don't ask me why they went that aggressive. I wouldn't have done, but in retrospect, the numbers say there was not so much risk to lose to P3 and it was perhaps the only way to go for victory because even putting on full wets, I would have think was even playing much more lottery than maybe a shift to intermediate tires. I, th- I think that, that that it is really, really interesting what Burzi said, and uh, I, I think he's he's uh, luckily he's uh, he's right. You know, I mean, <laughs> because the the thing is that I, I think that there is so much action happening the laps before that pit stop between uh, the interaction between drivers and teams. It's so. So so fantastic to listen to that radio, and I'm looking forward to listen to more radios in the next few days as well. Because the, the, I think that one people must understand that it's a team driver decision when you change to tires. 
the tires and in a, in a changing ever changing conditions uh, there was half of the track that was dry half of the track was uh, was wet and 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 even fernando on the radio said look half of you know some corners are dry some are, are wet i mean i really don't know mate you know he he told his uh, race engineer chris and 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 that was uh, at the end of the day that was uh, decided there was the possibility to gamble a bit that's right what Woodsy said but the question really is uh, why did Max not pit for inters if it was so easy for everyone is one point like Woodsy said yeah he had to he had to copy Fernando's uh, decision or whatever tire he went on but secondly because he was not sure and that's extra lap that he did made him realize that it he had to go for inters but up to that point, he was not sure, like Fernando. Fernando gambled. It didn't pay off. Uh, but it was, uh, had, had Verstappen, uh, you know, not done that extra lap, he wouldn't have been sure what tire to, to, to fit. So it was a complex situation, fantastic, typical Monaco, and uh, something that also the teams caught out, uh, you know, were not, were not uh, expecting. Because the, the weather forecast, and this is critical in the tire selection, was that there was a few laps of drizzle not proper rain, and for so long. Well, you've heard our thoughts on Fernando Alonso's race. Let's hear from the man himself. For me, it was very clear that the track on that lap we stopped was completely dry, apart of turn seven and eight. So how I will put the inters? It was completely dry, 99% of the track. So I stopped for dries. The weather forecast, it was small shower, the small quantity of rain as well, what we had as, as a team. And we had a lot of margin behind us to put the dry tires and if necessary, the inter tires. So maybe it was extra safe, I don't know. But uh, that minute and a half that it took to go through 10, 5, 6, 7 and 8, again, it changed completely. So the outlap on the dry tires, it was very wet when, when I got to those corners. but. The lap that we stopped, it was completely dry. How do you think it would have played out had the race stayed dry? I think we didn't have a chance, to be honest. I think we, we were uh, brave on the strategy. It's not normal that you start on the first row of the grid and you choose the hard tire, uh, trying to do the opposite of, of the leaders. And that shows you know, the commitment from the team and the, how aggressive everyone was in Aston Martin tried to get the win. We knew that it was some downside to that strategy. We could end it up maybe P5, P6 uh, or something like that out of the podium. But uh, this morning we discussed and we said, you know, we had a couple of podiums this year. So we go for all or nothing and we start on the hard tire and we didn't have the pace. That was the only problem we had in the race. I think the strategy was good. Um, the medium tire was behaving surprisingly good. In our opinion, we were hoping for more graining or, or bigger degradation, and, and Max was able to, to drive 50 laps on, on an amazing place, and that was the, the reason why he won the race. But uh, I will be happy uh, fighting for the championship with all second places until the end of the year uh, or next year. This year is just a gift what we are having every weekend is just a celebration on, on the team. Uh, we didn't expect this, and, and it's just a, a build-up into next year. So I know there were a lot of questions in the TV pen as well about fitting the Inters and try to win the race, but honestly, I, this is a, a different race than what we saw in the team, and, and we are P2, so 
very, very happy with the race because the P1 was very fast today. In, in any tire, in any condition, Max was always 15 or 20 seconds in front of us. So um, there was no chance to win today. You see, so much respect between Fernando and Max. Again, everything Fernando was saying then was just a backhanded compliment to Max Verstappen. Yeah, well, and also a lot of trust in his team. This episode is sponsored by NordVPN. NordVPN is the best way to keep your data and online activity secure when you're using the internet. Whenever you log on to a public or a shared Wi-Fi network, perhaps in a bar, co-working space or restaurant, these networks are usually unsecured, meaning you're opening yourself up to the risk of prying eyes, being able to see your online activity and mine your data. But by installing NordVPN on your computer, smartphone or tablet, you can keep your data protected because it reroutes your activity through a secure connection and encrypted servers, giving you a much needed extra layer of security. And it can even elevate your home setup too. It's super simple to set up and easy to use. All you need to do after creating your NordVPN account is hit connect and you're all set. You can even set up zero click protection which means you'll be safe to browse on any network at any time while NordVPN works its magic in the background. You can protect up to six devices with each account and it's compatible with every major platform, including Windows, Android, iOS, macOS and Linux. And even your Android TV supports NordVPN. Grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash F1 Nation to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan plus four additional months for free. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. It was a stunning race from Verstappen and Alonso, but equally impressive was the man in third place, Esteban Ocon. What a weekend it was for Esteban. And we wait to see on the finish line now as Esteban Ocon comes home to take third place and become the first Frenchman to stand on the podium since Olivier Panis back in 1996. A brilliant drive from Ocon to come home and give Alpine their first podium of the season. And that's the checkered flag. Yes, guys! Yes! Oh, my God. <laughs> Woo! Okay, sorry at all, please, mate. Sorry at all. What a weekend, what a weekend. Your first podium since you won in Hungary, of course. What does this one mean to you? It's been a while, it feels good. Um, I can tell you that. Yeah, I'm, I'm speechless at the moment. I'm, I'm a little bit on, on my cloud uh, still. You know, before the weekend, if, if you told us that uh, we are going to be in the top 10, we would have been, you know, happy. Uh, it would have been a strong weekend, but we are not in the top 10. We are not in the top five, we're on the podium. Yeah, that shows really that you know, never stop believing. You know, we had a, a difficult start to the season, but uh, from the first session, uh, I felt strong in the car. I felt confident, had the wheel. Um, I was able to push, you know, session after sessions closer to the limit than I'm usually uh, doing in, in Monaco. And yeah, I mean, that allowed me to do the lap I did yesterday, which is obviously 90% of, of the job normally uh, in Monaco. But it was not really the case today. Um, today has been a little bit of a, of a harder race. I got a touch from, from Carlos at one stage, got damage uh, on, the, on the back of the car, and then the rain shuffled everything again. And we had to choose to take um, the inters at the right time, and we did so. 
but yeah, it's been uh, it's been an incredibly tough race to get uh, under control. But uh, yeah, the reward is is immense. So I'm extremely pleased. Have you been surprised by the pace of your car this weekend? I have been. Yeah, I have been. Um, I think as soon as we put it down from the simulator date, really to uh, to all the practice sessions, um, we've been improving. You know, step by step, and never stopping doing it. And yeah, it's been a, a very different weekend compared to my usual uh, Monaco weekends where I was not afraid to uh, to go close to the walls very early. And yeah, uh, extremely surprised, that's for sure. I think we should keep fit to the ground at the moment. Obviously, we're on the podium here. We, we will uh, enjoy all together. But yeah, Barcelona is going to be a very uh, different characteristic track that everyone knows and uh, a good test for us to see where we are exactly. Well, I thought it was really well executed weekend and uh, in the entry of the of the podcast you ask us how is it to build up a Monaco weekend and you would just look at Esteban he has built himself up didn't start too far off of course because you have to start straight away on some level but uh, the amount of offs touching the walls uh, or risky moment are very limited with him but he was really building himself up in a long weekend so whatever he did in terms of having breakfast, set-up decisions, mind preparation worked well. But the key for him was uh, qualifying. It looked very impressive, to be honest, in Q3. Uh, of course, he was one of the first ones with the new tires, but his lap was just extraordinary. And you could hardly find an inch which he didn't extract everything his Alpine had. We know him. If he has this high and he feels good, he can continue this through the weekend. And he did extraordinary well. Absolutely extraordinary. So I pulled my head off Esteban. Yeah, it was amazing. I mean, last lap in Q3, let's not forget that at that point, yeah, he was the one of the first fitting the new tires at the second run in Q3, but he he put it on pole. You know, when we thought that Fernando, it was a Fernando Verstappen uh, game, and then all of a sudden he came and he he put the, the benchmark extremely high. And at one point, uh, even I thought maybe he, he that, that time is unbeatable because he was a couple of tenths faster than uh, Fernando, who had done a fantastic lap. You know what Ocon was extremely impressive and special? Not because he put the car, I mean, fourth, which eventually was third with Leclerc's penalty, but it was the fact that during the race, he was nowhere close to the to Fernando and, 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 and Max. The fact that his car didn't have the pace, but he still put it third on the grid, that made me, I mean, realize how special that lap was. And we are talking about Fernando and, and, and Max as, a, you know, pulling incredible laps in quali, but maybe Ocon's lap was as impressive or more, I would say. I thought Ocon was sensational all weekend. I thought the gap between him and Gasly, you know, G Gasly's no slouch around Monaco, let's not forget. But I was surprised by the pace of the Alpine. I said on last week's show that I thought they were... A, we're a dark horse in that, you know, the, the low speed mechanical grip of that car is is good. But I didn't expect them to be this good. It's difficult to say why they were so fast. I mean, but they've been incredibly fast at some races uh, in particular moments of the Grand Prix or, the, or in the in the quali, you know. And uh, they haven't been able to put it together when it when it mattered in, in Q3. But they... They, they had a car that was producing a lot of downforce. They were a bit slow on the straights, but they were extremely quick in the, in, the, in the slow corners. So it's difficult to judge different teams, what they're doing and uh, how the tire preparation is and, and stuff like that. But they, they definitely have a very, a very good platform, I would say, to develop on. 
Monaco is very specific. You, the drag factor is just almost not existing. Barcelona is almost the track which is the blueprint for aerodynamic development and setting your development metrics in the winter time. Everyone wants to have Barcelona as the best Grand Prix because if long, mid, middle speed and high speed corners with long time steering uh, lock on. So that's very complicated for your aerodynamics to work. And this is, I think, we see Red Bull clearly uh, as the strongest. I will be extremely curious what Mercedes with their new aero package will show, but also of what Alpine will show um, in terms of, did they make a step or was that Monaco an outlaw and it's just a one-off? Well, let's talk about Mercedes next, because you mentioned their upgrades. They plan to bring them to Imola, of course, last weekend, but without... Uh, that Grand Prix. Monaco was the first time uh, they got to run them. We all got to see the underneath of the car uh, after Lewis Hamilton's car was craned out the way in practice. But let's start this with a conversation I had with Mercedes Andrew Shovlin, their head of trackside engineering. I asked him for his first impressions of the new look Silver Arrow. It's difficult to know because the scale of the changes we've made on the car is a lot smaller than the scale of the changes you get going from a track like Miami to a track like Monaco. Um, I mean, the drivers have said it all feels uh, good. We've we've done our development in the simulator on more normal circuits, and that all looks like it's a step in the right direction. So we're pretty relaxed that it's probably going to be progress. Um, but we you know we need to understand where we've got to uh, develop more, where we need to be looking to. Um, sort of find those future paths of development. You say a step in the right direction. What is the direction you're trying to go with this car now? Well, I mean, step in the right direction, I mean faster. Um, as I said, we've done an awful lot of testing in the simulator and it is looking um, like it should do that. But where, where we're looking to, to get that performance, well, a bit more stability um, from the car. Some of that's coming from uh, what we've done with the front suspension and then just, just more grand aerodynamically. So just trying to put more... Um, downforce on the thing so th those are the main areas we're working on and yeah ho hopefully when we get to Barcelona we'll, we'll see how it performs I was going to say how much have you actually learned around a track like Monaco that is so unique so slow um, well the, the main thing is we've, we've brought an awful lot of new bits you would never dream of bringing new cooling new suspension aero package to Monaco we've never ever done that before um, and they have worked worked reliably. They've you know they've they've functioned. There's nothing that's caused us any major headaches. So that that's been a very good thing to see. But as I said, the performance assessment really you've got to you've got to get onto a relevant circuit, and uh, we'll take a view. And, and this is all about a future development path. Had you did you feel that you'd reached a dead end with what you had before? Um, well, you develop the car with different groups working on different areas. And we'd got to a stage with a side pod where the gains weren't flowing that easily. So it was actually quite a, quite a good point in our sort of progression to leap to a different concept. That leap always costs you a bit of tunnel time just to get back to where you were. And, and you know, what happens going forward will, will tell us whether we've, you know, we've landed on the right concept and whether we've got a strong development. But... It made a lot of sense to us to go to something that looks a bit more like the rest of the, the grid are running rather than sort of trying to forge our own path endlessly. Lewis called it the son of a gun. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what he means by that. <laughs> I guess it's positive, though. 
Um, I, yeah, he, you know, he said some good things about the car this weekend. He said it feels decent on the brakes and he's, he's got confidence. We're a bit disappointed with qualifying. I think we could have put a bit better showing in if we'd got everything right in, in Q3. But, you know, everyone's bringing updates. It's a busy time of the year for that. But, it, yeah, as I said, we, you know, we've, we've put a lot of work into it. People have done a good job to bring it so rapidly. There's a huge amount of new stuff on the car. And we're, we're confident that what we've done is, is a good direction. But we're also confident it's probably not going to be enough and we've got more work to do. Look, best of luck. Thank you very much, Chef. Thank you very much. Well, that was interesting. And, uh, and Tom, the, the thing is that it was a unique uh, Monaco Grand Prix because it was incredible to see so many new parts in, uh, in so many teams because we didn't have an Imola Grand Prix. So basically, you would never bring all these new parts uh, at a race like Monaco where it is, you're just uh, looking for maximum downforce, uh, don't look for efficiency. So you have your specific aero levels for this race, but you won't bring uh, new cooling packs or, I mean, you know, I mean, and, and, and different upgrades because it's impossible to judge the performance level in a place like Monaco where the track evolve, evolution is so high and there's so many risks as well of, 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 of damaging those parts. So, yeah, all in all, we'll see Barcelona. I think that we just have to wait, all of us, we have to wait for Barcelona to judge what uh, what is the evolution race of each team and where each each car is. But see, how much of a risk was it for them running those new parts at Monaco? I mean, we did see Hamilton crash. Okay, he went in... The front left corner got the brunt of that, and I think most of the new bits were at the back, but still it it was risky. Well, exactly. You wouldn't risk it in Monaco where the probability of crashing and destroying new parts, and let's face it, uh, with the budget restriction, you're producing only a certain amount of parts and not endless spare parts. But uh, hey, they had no choice, uh, and I think it would have been overall a much larger risk to delay it and bring it to, to Barcelona. So in the end, it's a new experiment. Uh, I think in the future, people will be less shy to bring new parts to Monaco because uh, all the simulations prove to be right, which is mainly about uh, the new cooling package because that's usually quite critical and not that straightforward, but uh, that's what they managed. My attention was not so much on the aero package because Monaco is quite specific and you cannot read anything out of aero data because of the turbulence staying within the guardrails and they hang around for a long time. So it's really difficult to read data and extract data, also the off-camber corners or the warp in the, in, in the track. But they brought a new front suspension. Uh, I'm not sure if that's known, but uh, I happen to know that they, they had a completely new uh, kinematics, front suspension geometry. And, you know, we, we, we've seen with the Mercedes car that at certain times, let's remember Budapest last year when from almost out of nowhere, came Q3 and George Russell put it on pole because suddenly that car mechanically, the tires worked together so well and it generated enormous grip. I mean, that was a decisive moment for them to keep this philosophy. So I was watching very, very much. Could you read something of a geometry? Is the driver, is he more confident to rotate the car into the corner with more control? And it seems the answer is yes, a little bit. But I did, still saw the same phenomenon in Q1. I mean, maybe it, it just looked like it. I don't have the data to analyze it, unfortunately. But it still looked like it needed the tire grip to come down, the circuit to evolve with grip level, that the messages suddenly switched on in Q3 more than it did in Q1 and Q2. So maybe this, they haven't solved this phenomenon. But 
I, I felt it was interesting to say it at least, but bottom line is all my words are for nothing. I agree with Pedro. We have to wait for Barcelona to see <laughs> the, true, the true extent of this update. I thought it was interesting, Alex, that both Lewis Hamilton and George Russell confessed to overdriving in qualifying. Is that them trying to get that temperature in the tyres, trying to force the situation? Well, you don't get temperature with overdriving and sliding. You, you get temperature, but the wrong temperature. You, you don't want it on the surface because uh, we know that the Italian product is quite temperamental on surface uh, temperature. Um, and so you need to build the core temperature very specifically. That's a, an art, a science no one has fully mastered. But the sliding itself is not good. So overdriving, I think, uh, is, is, is not really the way forward. But if they said that they are doing that, is perhaps now old school thinking quite a good sign because they feel comfortable and able to do it. So that means that the way the car goes in is progressive, it's user-friendly, and then perhaps on, on that, uh, that comment they could build up uh, more performance and more trust in the car. Now, both of you guys did a lot of testing back in the day. When you introduce such a big package as Mercedes did in Monaco, how quickly do you get on top of it? I mean, is it actually going to take a few races before we see what this is really capable of? It very much depends on the characteristic of the car. And uh, I mean, I mean, going to Monaco, it could take, uh, I mean, it could take ages really to get the perfect balance or a consistent balance. So uh, I think that uh, Barcelona is the best uh, ray test track there is in the calendar. It's a fantastic race track as well, but uh, I think that it's the perfect place to bring the upgrades or bring the mods uh, and make sure that you get a proper error reading uh, on the, you know, you can do, it as a long straight, you can do, you can do error test, you can do constant speed error test, you can get, extract all the information at different ride heights because uh, these cars are very sensitive to the, the ride height, obviously, because uh, most of the, the, the downforce is generated through the floor. I think Barcelona will be the perfect place to bring all the, all the mods and uh, quantify their gains and make sure that you you run the car in the sweet spot. It was interesting that Lewis Hamilton qualified sixth last year at Monaco, and he was uh, six tenths off pole position. This year, he qualified sixth again, but he was only three tenths off pole. So that is progress. Definitely, Tom. I mean, I think that there's one variable of this equation that we need to also discuss. Is uh, I, I really like that pair of drivers, Russell and, and, and Luis, they're they are two fantastic drivers that no matter how many problems the car has or their, you know, the balance or whatever, but they are always there. I mean, look at the result with all the, what went on with, you know, a car they had to overdrive, which I think every driver in Q3 at one point overdrive the car because you have to explore the limits anyhow, but they finished fourth and fifth, you know, it is, it's a fantastic result really for them. Uh, given that they are not extremely happy with the car yet. Uh, they have two great drivers. They always uh, are there. They are always challenging for the podium at the end of each race, no matter how far from, uh, from qualifying, from pole position they are in every race. There's more to come in our Monaco review in just a moment. But before we continue, I've got a little call out for anyone out there that might be interested in dipping their toe into the world of crypto. Getting started with digital currencies can be a little daunting if you're not used to it. We live in a world that is more digital than ever, with nearly every want or need just a tap away. Convenience is key in this day and age. That's why so many of our favourite digital services 
seamlessly meet the physical world when they're delivered directly to your front door. But until now, that hasn't been true for crypto. Digital currencies have been tied up online with no easy way to bring them into the real world, which can leave you feeling like you have less control over the cash you have in your on-screen balance versus the cash you actually have access to in your pocket. And that's why we're so excited to share that you can now cash in and out of select digital wallets at participating MoneyGram locations without a bank, credit card or debit card. So if you're interested in exploring the world of digital currencies, it's a great place to get started. Flex your finances using the only digital wallets with real cash access activated by MoneyGram. Learn more at moneygram.com forward slash Stellar Wallets. That's moneygram.com slash Stellar Wallets. It seems that Mercedes maximised what they had in Monaco. Hamilton coming home fourth, Russell fifth. Will there be the same smiles at Ferrari? Charles Leclerc, brilliant in qualifying, gets a penalty, finishes the race sixth. Carlos Sainz comes home in eighth. And this is what Carlos had to say. I was frustrated, but don't, don't judge me for the comments on the radio at the 300 kph in Monaco. In the walls, we are all uh, a bit uh, either frustrated or excited, however you want to call it. Today, for me, it was maybe a bit of frustration. But uh, yeah, it was... Uh, Two critical pit stops, one we, we did it too late, one we did it too early maybe, and uh, that's Monaco, a bit of a lottery, and today maybe we didn't get it right. If you had have got things right, do you think you did have the pace to really challenge today? Yes, today you just need to see my in-lap when Esteban box to see the pace that we had in hand, and with a hard tyre, who knows what we could have done extending it. I felt like today the, the pace was there, and probably victim a bit of frustration, we, we didn't get the other calls very, very right. Carlos speaking to Lawrence Barreto there. They covered Lewis Hamilton in that race. He was on the hard tyre and they brought him in early. Um, I can understand Science's frustration. Yeah, I mean, Tom, I think that uh, uh, Carlos had a lot more pace and uh, he was uh, he was behind Esteban for most of the race, uh, all over his back, uh, trying every, every braking, just putting the front nose, going in deep into the chicane, Getting his uh, his front end plate, uh, I mean, to breaking his front end plate, but still keeping the pace, uh, having lost several points of downforce. So I think all in all, it was a frustrating race. I mean, there's nothing else. I mean, there's nothing more frustrating than being in Monaco uh, with a car that's capable of so much more, but being always behind a gearbox. And and that was uh, the case of Carlos, which eventually at the end uh, made him uh, spin in the conditions. But I really liked what he did. He was aggressive. He was brave. He was putting pressure on Esteban in every condition, in the dry, in the when it started uh, drizzling, in the wet. That's what you expect with any driver in Monaco that he realizes that he has more potential than what he's uh, delivering. So he made his uh, his mistakes as well, and uh, that's racing. But I really liked how he attacked. But anyway, the, the bottom line is this is Monaco. You have to qualify better than that. Otherwise, you will always be compromised. Yeah, well, he qualified fifth. But Pedro, do you feel that your compatriot is fighting for his Ferrari future at the minute? I don't see why, because uh, the re- reality is you have one more year contract and uh, Charles has also uh, there's been a lot of changes in the team. So I'm pretty sure that the team wants a bit of stability. You're doing a good job. 
okay, you're making your own mistakes, and that's clear. But uh, but that's part of the game, you know. I mean, you push, you you <laughs> you push the limit, and sometimes you go over it. So I I don't see like uh, you know I I think that there is a lot of rumors about the future of uh, Luis and uh, this obviously affecting Ferrari. But from my point of view, there's no reason to feel the pressure when uh, you you're doing a good job and uh, you you are getting on very well i think that uh, charles and carlos are doing a good job together i wouldn't underestimate how difficult that car is to drive because all the crashes or the spins so you know i mean from charles for example in miami uh, the car looked very good in uh, in in friday on friday here in monaco but then saturday they changed whatever and uh, whatever they changed it didn't work so the car looked very nervous i was watching uh, through friday through the swimming pool area the high speed corners and the uh, the top cars, I mean, most of them were flat with new tires and, uh, and and the Ferrari didn't look completely flat through that 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 area because it was bouncing. It was uh, There was a bit of porpoising through the 13-14, you know, corners, which makes it very uncomfortable in a place like Monaco. So they have their own issues and it's not an easy car to drive to the limit without spinning or crashing. So let's let's see what what they can deliver in barcelona i'm sure barcelona will be much better because uh, it's not as bumpy as, as monaco anyway yeah well they have some upgrades coming for barcelona but on the topic of how difficult the ferrari is to drive uh, charles actually said over the weekend that this car is worse over the bumps than last year's car that's one area of difference but it seems that there is no difference on the pit wall at the minute, Alex, in that yet again at Monaco, we saw Ferrari making a mistake on the pit wall, this time in qualifying when Charles wasn't informed that Lando Norris was on a hot lap behind him and he impeded him in the tunnel and got a three-place grid penalty. Yeah, the penalty was tough, but it is what it is. The stewards have decided it put a, a big spin on the weekend uh, for Charles. Um feel sorry for him because uh, uh, it's his home race and Monaco is really the... The track, you don't want the penalty, that's clear. Yeah, I wouldn't call that the same issue as some strategic uh, issues. Uh, I think now it's very easy to, to criticize the team uh, for such strategic decisions. I would like to hold back on those. Uh, I just want to, to to say that I'm curious what Ferrari will do in Barcelona because I, I, I saw the exact same as Pedro that in the fast swimming pool chicane that car is actually a handful. And it has quite a nasty rebound where it's just starting to bounce off and then they, they really struggle. And we shouldn't forget Barcelona will be much more high speed. So that should be low right height. It should be in the extreme progressive uh, um, hard end of the suspension for the last two corners because they are flat. We are not having the slow cane. Turn three, turn seven. Whilst it's not bumpy, you're touching the curbs a little bit and maybe they will struggle with the right. Because ironically... It was Ferrari who had the least issues in the beginning of last year with the purposing. So maybe on their development, they didn't feel it necessary to address purposing and bouncing, whilst the other teams did improve the right quality uh, and they didn't. So let, let's see if, if Barcelona is, is again for them a track which is difficult, right, and purposing, causing issues for drivability, causing issues. Difficult drivability creates more driver mistakes, uh, more edgy driving styles or, or behaviors. So let's see. I think it's quite important for them to show after Monaco where on Friday they were so fast. I walked next to Max Verstappen. He said, oh, we can see that they actually we think they're faster than us. 
they had the potential there, but they couldn't use it. So they need to show that in Barcelona now. Yeah, the question really is what they did on Saturday. You know, what what did they do? You know, on Saturday to suddenly, I mean, they were really struggling in free practice three, and uh, it, that was a bit strange because I remember on Friday being watching there with a hard tire. Carlos was doing a run, uh, you know, and he was super fast on the hard tire. In fact, I thought as as Max, you know, I mean, wow, they look like the real favorite. So. All in all, it just looked like they changed the setup. Whatever they did, it didn't work out. Maybe they 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 played out with uh, played with the uh, right heights because uh, a lot of people were racing, ha- having to race the right heights during Friday because it was uh, more bumpy than what it was expected. And therefore, some cars, the moment you you race the right height, you lose a lot of downforce. Some cars lose more downforce than others, but you have to because of the bumpy, the the, the bouncing. You have to do it as well. Because of, of of the of the bumps at the track, so it, it's an interesting. But as as Burzi says, let's wait to see in Barcelona. I think we will have a much more clear picture of where everyone is standing, how their upgrades are working, and and what are their real strengths. Because Tom, let's not forget one thing. I mean, Barcelona is a new territory. It, the the last sector is completely different. It's just a two very high speed corners, which will be very demanding on the front left tire. And uh, it will it will be a big a, a flashback, you know, going back to the the old style Barcelona, which uh, made it an extremely difficult track, especially on on the high speed corners as well. I can't wait to go to flashback, you know, flashback Barcelona bullet. It's all coming together, Tom. It's all coming together, you know. I'm suddenly back in 2005, Pedro, <laughs> watching you. In the McLaren. Um, look, just yes. before we move on, I, I agree with everything you're saying about Barcelona. However, I did read the stewards document explaining why they'd given Charles Leclerc a three-place penalty uh, for impeding Norris in Q3. And they said that at no point was Charles informed over the radio that Norris was coming up behind him until he was right with him in the tunnel. And surely when you're on a cool-down lap in Monaco... Knowing where the traffic is behind you is the number one thing the driver needs to know. And it did cost Charles the chance of getting a first podium at home because of that penalty. And I just feel it still reflects that the pit wall is not across everything. It doesn't have a macro view of what is going on around the, its cars. And, and we saw it a little bit as well, I thought, with strategy on Carlos's side on Sunday as well. So it seems there is still, I think... A little bit more work to be done uh, on the Ferrari Pitbull. Let's now move on to McLaren. A double points finish again for the team. Uh, Lando Norris coming home in P9. Oscar Piastri in his first Monaco Grand Prix uh, taking that last point in P10. Here's Lando speaking to F1's Lawrence Barreto. Hey, Alonso. Today was all about kind of making the right decisions at the right time. Do you feel that you and the team did that today? No. Nope. What went wrong? <laughs> uh, we just shouldn't have boxed for the hard tyre. I guess I'm talking in hindsight, but um, with the information that I was given, which was it was not going to rain a lot at all, I was happy with boxing onto the hard, but uh, it rained a hell of a lot more. So, um, I don't know, we just didn't read the conditions right or something. and. I don't know what it what it was, but maybe I should have questioned it more. It's, it's hard to say. We'll review it all after. Um, but we maybe lost you know, 30 seconds from doing the, the pit stops. And 30 seconds easily would have put me uh, P5 or something, you know. So the pace on the intermediate was incredible. I caught Max very quickly. I was quite surprised 
I'm sure when you're leading a race, it's a bit of a different, <laughs> different feeling than when you're in a P9 or something. But yeah, we were quite easily the quickest on track, so a lot more difficult than you can imagine. Like it's it's so difficult, but uh, I, do, I do enjoy it at the same time. Well, it did at least look tough out there from watching it. But is it particularly disappointing on a weekend to have a result like that when Alpine, you know, have scored so strongly? No, they're just a lot quicker than us. They have been all year, so uh, they're doing a good job. But uh, considering we're saying we've had one of the worst cars to start the season that we were, that we've had for the last five six years, uh, we're not we're not expecting to fight Alpine in any in any way. So. Uh, there's not even any point thinking it, you know. They're half a second quicker in qualifying around Monaco, which means if we're at a normal circuit, they're seven, eight tenths quicker than us, you know. So uh, it's the same car we've had all year, really. We've made a small step in, in Baku, but uh, apart from that, that's it. So we're just keeping our heads down, trying to stay focused, keep pushing, and um, wait for the, the next set of upgrades in uh, Silverstone. Well, I think Lando's being quite harsh on the pit wall there. I think he was getting the same information that Fernando Alonso was getting about the weather conditions. What would you guys say? Lando is is, is doing a fantastic job, you know, and uh, and that, that is clear. And he's pushing in every condition, no matter what. And but it is true as well that he was expecting a bit more from the team in terms of uh, pace, of pure pace, and uh, the upgrades, and so therefore. You can sense a bit of frustration in his words, but nevertheless, I think that uh, that the team did a good job. Like, I mean, there is no, there was, it was impossible to get it right. Let's be realistic. If you didn't gamble, and when you gamble, it means that you can make uh, make mistakes. So, I I am I am very I like to defend the teams in such a dif- different in d- difficult weekends like Monaco with uh, changing conditions because the it is impossible to r- pick up the right tires at the right time stop in the right uh, moment uh, you know it was impossible for anyone so I think that it's uh, it's fair to say that it was a very very easy Grand Prix to get it horribly wrong. That's an interesting point in itself, Pedro, in that the conditions were really, really difficult for those last 20 laps. And yet we only saw one driver register a DNF, a did not finish. I thought everyone drove incredibly well. I, I Tom, you're right. And, and before this interview, I was talking with Alex, you know, about this. And uh, we were just, uh, we, we didn't talk about uh, the greatness of the quality laps or the, you know, or how, how, spectacular the race was or the, or the quality. We, we were talking about, man, how difficult the conditions were. We know how difficult it is to drive a Formula One car with slick tires in the wet. That is incredible. At any moment in time, you are in the wall and you don't know why. But in Monaco, with a, with it, you know, with the grip level being so low in a, and with so many barriers, uh, walls, arm coats, that, that is, is, is a fantastic achievement which says a lot about the quality of these Formula One uh, drivers. It is incredible. It's not a matter of luck, you know. I mean, it's not a matter of luck that we saw in Q3 uh, no red flags. It's not a matter of luck that we, we didn't see any... I mean, we, we, did, we did see some spins and some off-tracks, but no, no, you know, I was at one point expecting for a red flag during the, the last few laps of the race. And, and it just speaks for itself. You know, we have uh, possibly the strongest 20 drivers uh, in, in Formula One history out there. Interesting that you talk about red flags in qualifying because there is one man we haven't talked about yet. 
in our review of the Monaco Grand Prix. And he did bring out a red flag in Q1 when he crashed at Sandovot, turn one. He then had a very messy race, uh, P16 in the end. Sergio Perez. Really difficult day out there and uh, everything that could have gone wrong went. And um, yeah, really, really sad with the, with the performance. Yeah, it was quite quite tricky uh, at the time, um, trying to explore the conditions. Um, it is very frustrating. I knew that my mistake yesterday was extremely costly and, and that was 25 points. So, uh, yeah, very disappointed. But still, you know, I have some hope, but I know that I cannot afford another zero in the championship. So I really hope uh, I, can, I can be back to my normal level in Barcelona. What a difficult weekend, particularly when his teammate goes and wins. He's now got Fernando Alonso just 12 points behind him in the World Championship. For Checo, how difficult is it going to be to pick himself up after that weekend? I mean, the important thing as a driver is that you know you have the pace. That's why I think he will bounce back very strongly in Barcelona. He's always been very fast there as well. And uh, and I think that this year's Checo is, uh, is a lot stronger in all types of tracks uh, compared to last year. So expect uh, Checo to be fighting for the win in Barcelona. Well, Alex, Sergio is now 39 points behind Verstappen. He can't afford another Monaco, can he? No, he can't. And I think he knows it. So it's, it will be quite interesting. Pedro touched on a very strong uh, Checo this year. Uh, it seems the car is better. So he, he knows he can trust his natural instinct and driving style more. And that that helps him. And we have seen him from a, a low to bounce back in the next race. So he's not the guy who holds crutches against himself forever. But 39 points. Uh, we're going into the seventh round. Of course, with Imola being cancelled, that's the seventh round coming up. It marks a decisive delta. And you then know you cannot afford another one. So let's see how he handles with it. It's definitely interesting uh, to watch him and the dynamics now around this, this big gap. The top 10 look like this. Max Verstappen took his second win through the streets of the Principality, coming home ahead of Fernando Alonso in second and Esteban Ocon third, the Frenchman's best result since his win in Hungary back in 2021. Fourth and fifth were the Mercedes of Lewis Hamilton and George Russell, despite a five-second penalty for Russell. Hometown hero Charles Leclerc was sixth, ahead of Pierre Gasly in the second Alpine and Carlos Sainz. And then came the McLarens of Lando Norris and Oscar Piastri, who rounded out the top ten. In the driver's standings, Max Verstappen has opened a 39-point lead over his teammate Sergio Perez, with Fernando Alonso only 12 points adrift of the Mexican in third. Lewis Hamilton and George Russell are fourth and fifth, with Carlos Sainz only two points behind Russell in sixth. Leclerc is seventh, ahead of Stroll, Ocon and Gasly. In the constructors' table, Red Bull on 249 now have more than double the points of their nearest rivals, Aston Martin. But then it gets very close. Mercedes are just one point behind Aston in third, with Ferrari fourth on 90. Alpine on 35 have given themselves some breathing space in fifth, with McLaren sixth on 17. All of the non-scorers in Monaco have stayed where they are. Haas in seventh, Alfa Romeo eighth, Alfa Tauri ninth and Williams tenth. All right, well guys, I think we need your drivers of the day. 
please. Um, officially, it was Esteban Ocon. He was voted driver of the day by the fans watching on TV. But Pedro, first of all, your driver of the day, maybe of the weekend. That seems to be the theme of Monaco because we like to include qualifying. I, I'll get my Aston Martin cap on now, you know, and I will vote for Fernando Alonso. And uh, But now I'm taking it off, okay? And I'm voting for Esteban Ocon, to be honest, you know, because... I know what is uh, to drive with uh, an uncompetitive car in Monaco, how much you have uh, to risk, where all the headlines are taken out by the guy that wins or the guy that's on pole position. But to put it third, defending from the Ferraris, from the Mercedes in such a heroic way, he really did surprise me. I mean, I, uh, Max didn't surprise me. I know that he can do that. Fernando didn't surprise me in the fact that he always sets the benchmark to an unload level. But Esteban Ocon really, really has my vote, I would say. Versi? Uh, well, I mean, there's a lot of drivers to pick. Almost all the 20, uh, as we've said, very few mistakes have been done in such extraordinary challenging conditions. But I actually would vote for Max this time around. I know that he can do it. He has proven and he will prove over and over about his capacity. But, man, he was challenged in qualifying to a few hundredths of a second. Uh, he had to be on it every lap. And if you're in the lead, yes, he has the fastest race car, but if you're in the lead, it starts raining. It's very easy to say, I go just a little bit safer. You drop your temperatures uh, and you make a mistake. So he had everything to lose, actually. And what did he do? He was pushing. He touched the wall. He came sideways out of corners. He locked all four wheels into corners. And uh, that shows the guy is just naturally happy on the limit. And he had a faster car, but yet he's still extracting the 101% of a car in the difficult conditions. So he, he perceives danger perhaps a little bit different than, than the Barcelona Bullets does, but uh, he's my driver of the weekend. I think we, we need to speak about, uh, I mean, explain to the, to the listeners the, the, the fact that uh, I'm called Barcelona Bullet because we're doing this interview and I wrote down on my screen uh, the Barcelona Bullet instead of Pedro de la Rosa. Just because in the old days, when I was testing for McLaren and Alex was my teammate there, uh, my test teammate, uh, we, I, they, the, the team used to call me the Barcelona Bullet. I'm from Barcelona. Uh, I like the track. I'm pretty fast there, by the way. And, uh, and then uh, I just thought it was a good idea of pissing off slightly my good old friend Alex Woods today. Yeah, but you were faster in Bahrain. You still have the fastest lap. In Bahrain, Pedro. Yes, absolutely. And, and still have it for one more year. Let's wait, see next year. Cars are getting faster. But yes, you're right, Tom. I'm still hanging in there. It's the last thing that I still own or have in Formula One. Uh, I was also pretty quick in Jerez. And Alex, don't laugh, please. Because uh, Kimi, Kimi Raikkonen used to call me Mr. Jerez. I was always... I, I still don't know why. And maybe that's one of the problems. Is that I was super quick through the slow speed she came and uh, you know and that that's where I pull all the lap time always there to to the I mean Alex Kimi everyone basically <laughs> I'm joking <laughs> <laughs> you are the Barcelona bullet to me um, I'm going to plump for Max Verstappen by the way for my driver of the day uh, I thought he was an awesome all weekend but what sways it for me was the final sector in qualifying he was driving that thing like a pinball bouncing between the barriers and I was left completely 
breathless watching him. So two votes for Max Verstappen and one for Esteban Ocon. Our F1 fantasy team, F1 Nation Racing, had a slightly mixed weekend in Monaco. We'd brought in Leclerc for his home race and to pay for him, we had to drop Red Bull Racing as a constructor. So our drivers were Verstappen, Alonso, Leclerc, Piastri and Tsunoda. And our teams were Ferrari and Aston Martin. Two out of the three podium positions wasn't bad, with Leclerc and Piastri also in the points. But Tsunoda ended up out of the points after suffering brake issues. So not bad, but not great. And we go again in Barcelona next weekend. And remember, you can join our league at any time to compete against us and other listeners. Search for the F1 Nation World Championship. And if you're not playing yet, it's not too late to join and it's totally free. Just search online for F1 Fantasy to sign up, then choose your constructors and drivers using a $100 million budget. Now, guys, before we go, just a very quick word on what we can expect in Barcelona. You've both talked about it being a fantastic test track. I'm sure you've both done a gazillion miles around there. But in terms of the race victory this coming weekend, Vertsi, is anyone going to beat your driver of the day from Monaco? Well, it could be Checo Perez, but I think... Uh... Red Bull should, in theory, uh, I would bet on it, that they will be the, the people to beat in Barcelona. And for everyone else out there, I can only say, if in Barcelona your upgrades are not working, it's not a problem of your car, it's the problem of your correlation, because Barcelona is the circuit everyone designs to. So it will be a very interesting uh, weekend coming up for the technical-minded people here in this uh, podcast. Yeah, absolutely, I agree. Red Bull is the team to beat there. It will be the team to beat for sure. High efficient track, high speed corners. Uh, you know, the last two corners entering the, the main straight, the pit straight will be awesome to watch as well in quali. I'm pretty sure that they are taken flat in quali, which will be incredibly quick. And I'm very hard, Tom, I must say, on the neck. It will, it will be very hard on the neck of the drivers just because it's, you know, those Two corners are like basically just one very long corner on, on the neck. And then you go, you end up going into turn three already with a sore neck and the turn three just kills your neck. And then while by the time you are breaking into turn four, your neck is already gone, you know, because it's another long right-hander. So Barcelona, I think that, that these modern Formula One drivers, that the new generations don't realize how tough on their neck Barcelona is going to be. Verts is laughing. Yeah, because he had a, a he has a very long neck. Yes, he has a very long neck, and one of his weak points was his neck. So when we were testing in Barcelona, uh, on, we were doing three or four days in a row, and by the the, the, the last day, he used to add in the in the in the headrest the puffy pad we call, and just to hold his neck, you know. So basically, he could rest his neck on the right handers. Is there any truth to this rumor? Yeah, no, there is absolute truth. But uh, we are very glad to have established that for Pedro, it shouldn't have been the former one world championship. It should have been the former one Spanish championship because that were his two strong tracks. And uh, that's about it, I guess. I first went to Barcelona for the Grand Prix in, in the mid-90s uh, when very few people were watching. Just Pedro, give us, uh, just paint a little picture for us just how mad... Barcelona is going to be this weekend with Alonso going so well, Carlos Sainz in a Ferrari. It's a sellout about five times over, isn't it? 
Well, yeah, Tom. I mean, I, I tell you something. I mean, they they in the old days they they hardly managed to get forty forty five thousand fifty thousand people in, in during the you know on, on a Sunday. Uh, this year, on the first twenty four hours of online selling, they sold forty five thousand only on that first twenty four hours, like uh, over six months ago. So it's it's a sold out. It's completely. It will be completely packed. There's no more grandstands tickets available. Uh, people are calling me from all angles just trying to get a ticket. I mean, they think I have a printer at home with uh, Barcelona tickets or whatever, but it's just a very difficult to get hold of one. And, uh, and and I'm just very proud. I'm really looking forward to it. We have a great spectators with the Spanish Grand Prix that will come. Uh, hopefully, it will be green. Uh, you know, all the grandstands will be covered in the green Aston Martin flags. And uh, the the response for the public to and the support for Carlos, for Fernando, I think will you you will be surprised. I th- I think the world will be surprised this weekend. Well, thank you very much. Thank you for everyone that was listening to F1 Nation. I'm really looking forward to catching up in the Spanish Grand Prix, my home Grand Prix, the Grand Prix of the Barcelona Bullet. Yeah, thanks uh, for Nation uh, having me as a guest. Uh, Tom, um, you're doing a stellar job. Thanks for navigating the Barcelona Bullet through this show. I'm blushing. Guys, thank you very much for your time. So please look out for our review of the Spanish Grand Prix next Monday. But for now, thanks for listening and it's goodbye from all of us. F1 Nation is produced by F1 and Audio Boom Studios. <laughs>